This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. From Genesis to Revelation, every word in the Bible is spoken by God through men to us. Now, God calls out in this book, in verse two, one group of people he calls the old men. Hear ye this, ye old men, and give ear. God calls in the old men to give ear. And that sets for us a scene of giving an ear to God and not to other things. That's a convicting word for us because it causes us to ask the question, what do I give my ear to? How much time in the day do I give my ear to God to listen to him in the Bible? Like the hymn says, have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin, as he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? Room for Jesus, King of glory, hasten now his word obey. Swing the heart store widely open, bid him enter while you may. Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died. Room and time now give to Jesus. Soon will pass God's day of grace. Soon your heart left cold and silent and the Savior's pleading cease. Now, God tells the old men about the judgment that's coming and he says in verse three, he says in verse three, tell ye your children, of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. God wanted the old men to tell their children, to tell their children, to tell their children, to tell their children, their children and so forth that this should be passed on what God has done. There is a great tragedy today in America and the tragedy today is that we have a whole generation that know nothing about Jesus Christ. Children today know all about sex, but children today know nothing about Christ who made them. Children today know all about transgenders, but children today know nothing about Jesus Christ who made them male and female. Children today know all about homosexuality and sin, but children today know nothing about Jesus Christ who purifies the heart and forgives of sin. Why is that? Why is that today that children know nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is because mothers and fathers and old men failed to do verse three. Verse three, tell you your children, 
of it and let your children tell their children and the children another generation. So we have a whole generation today that are lost in the world, not knowing anything about the Savior, Jesus Christ, and it only took one generation. It only took one link to be broken in America, a generation of mothers and fathers who failed and broke the link of verse three, tell you your children of it, let your children tell their children, and children another generation. That's why I love the book, The Lamb, that we sell in the bookstore at the Museum of Creation and Earth History in Santee, because it tells on a child's level, with beautiful illustrations, the great, the message of the Bible. I would to God that every mom and dad took time to sit down with their children and participate as their children read the book to the family and go around the family asking the 14 or so questions at the end of each chapter. Why is that important? Why is it important for children to learn the Bible so that children do not repeat the sins of others in the past? The Bible is such a wonderful book because it makes, it draws us into it, it makes us live the lives of others, and it causes us to feel the pain of sin and embeds within us the, the fear of the consequences of sin. Like it says in Psalm 119.9, Psalm 119.9, or just like we would just heard sing to us, blessed is the man that walks in the counsel, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, and it goes on and says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night, and he'll be like the tree planted by the rivers of water. The Bible makes us live in the lives of others and live their mistakes and not have to do it ourselves. Psalm 119.9, Psalm 119.9 says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word. 1 Corinthians 10.11, 1 Corinthians 10.11 tells us all these things happened unto them for examples for they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world is now come. I mean, I wanna learn, I wanna learn all about the sea in Loretto. I wanna learn about it. I wanna learn where all the shallow rocks are. I wanna learn where there's, there's two sunken trees. I wanna learn where those two trees are under the water. And so I go around a little aluminum 14 foot skiff boat and I wanna know that because I don't ever wanna take a boat and scrape the bottom. And I have done that and I never forget it. I don't have to make a note where those shallow rocks are. They're embedded in me. And when I come near those areas and that water, fear grabs me like a bad memory. The Loretto River empties into the sea. And during great storms, a lot of rocks have been washed there. Even two trees, as I mentioned, they're right there. And I remember the time I was 500 feet from the edge of the beach in front of the Loretto River. And I was just putting along there, probably going about 10 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, boom, and I watched the back transom of the boat go like that, and the propeller literally bit the sand. And uh, that minus one propeller, broken propeller. I don't need to make a note about that. I stay one mile now out from that Loretto River. Whenever I see that Loretto River, I get afraid. And I remember what happened, and I swing out a big, wide berth. It only took one time to make me afraid of that shallow water. And now I don't wanna learn where all the shallow waters are that way. So I study charts, I study charts, and whenever I come to an obstacle and shallow waters are, I don't need to hit those rocks in the bottom, those dangerous places, I only need to know where they are. And the charts do that for me. The charts do that for me, and I have those charts on my phone. 
And so when I go down here, let me just get over to where Loretto is, over here. There it is. I got them all marked. <laughs> and I go out there and I just, uh, because I studied them, I, and I, when I find something that's shallow, I put a flag on it, put a flag on it. I do that because I don't need to hit every obstruction to know where they are. If I did that, I wouldn't have a boat. And that's what the Bible is. Charts that tell us where the dangers are in life. As the hymn puts it, Jesus, I have this hymn in my boat, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Savior, pilot me. There's one part at the south end of Donzanti Island where it's marked migrating shoals. That's really dangerous. That means a sand burn that moves. So I give that a big wide berth. Now there's a destruction that's coming that's described in verse four, and the destruction is a judgment of God, and this is a description of four insects. These just insects, when you look at them, it alone, it looks like this little insect could not cause any damage. Actually, these four insects, even though they're given different words, they're actually varieties of the same, they're locusts. There's four locusts here, they're just varieties of locusts. It's a little bitty locust, a little bitty locust. What locust? What harm could it do? Well, not much if we're just talking about one locust. But the judgment here is not just one locust. The judgment here is a swarm of locusts. Locust was one of the terrible plagues that God brought to Egypt. In Exodus 10:14, Exodus 10:14, the locusts went up all over the land of Egypt and rested in all the coast of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them, there were no such locust as they, neither after them shall there be such. This plague of locust, it's hard for us to imagine, but this is the judgment that God brought, a plague of locust. So terrible was it over Egypt that it destroyed the land of Egypt, absolutely destroyed it. They were all over the land of Egypt. There was not any piece of land that didn't have these locusts. It was, uh, there was no stretch of sand on a, any beach in uh, Egypt that didn't have locusts all over them. The locust, if you can imagine, covered the windows of the houses so that the houses, you couldn't look out of them. The locusts covered the doors of the houses. So when the doors opened, they just swarmed in to the houses. They crawled under the covers of your bed. So you crunched as you went, as you turned. They were on your pillows, under your pillows. And that's what's meant by Exodus 10, 14. Exodus 10, 14. The locust went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. There was no place to escape to. There was no place to hide in. There was no place you could crawl away from where there were no locusts. They were everywhere, and that's why the locusts are described in Exodus 10, 14. Very grievous were they. And it was not just that these locusts were everywhere. It was the type of locusts, the type of locusts. They were unusual locusts because people were seeing them we're seeing in Exodus 10, 14, Exodus 10, 14, before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them were, shall be such. No one ever saw a locust like this before. 
No one ever saw these locusts. They were never, there were never locusts that were so big like that before. They were larger than any locusts had ever been before. There's never been a locust as large as that before. There were never so many locusts in one place before that, since the plague of locusts has never been such a large colony of locusts in one place since then. There were never locusts that were more voracious than any locusts like that in the past. There had never been any locusts so hungry since that in Egypt. These locusts ate everything. The land was completely destroyed by these locusts. These locusts were more loud than any other locusts in the past. There's never been locusts so loud since that is in Egypt. The sound of all these locusts was just deafening. You couldn't sleep because of the noise that those locusts made. You rolled over on your bed. You, as I said, you felt the crunch of the squashed locusts, and the sound of those locusts was so insulting, you'd want to go out of your mind, all because those locusts were created as a plague to torment. They tormented the Egyptians because the Jewish people were God's son, and very simply put, Egypt would not let Israel leave from the enslavement. And it was, it was not just for a morning that those locusts were in Egypt, that they came and they, they left, it was not just for an afternoon that they were in Egypt, that they came and they left. It was not just for a day that they came and they left. They were there for days, days. And they were special locusts, which were created for one purpose, to torment, and they tormented the Egyptians for a few days. And the whole design of the Egyptian plague of locusts was to humble the Egyptians with a little insect, the locust, and God was leading the Egyptians to be to repent and to let Israel go, turn around. And this plague of locusts that Joel's describing in this chapter, in verse four, it actually lasts for four years. This is a four-year plague. So devastating, so complete, because the whole design of this plague of locusts in Joel 4 here in verse four was to humble Israel, again, with a little insect that God was leading Israel to repent from their sins. And the whole design of God with troubles that come into a lost person's life is to humble and lead that person to faith in Jesus Christ. And with the plague of locusts in verse four, God shows that he knows how to humble. He knows how to humble a person by using the weakest little animal of locusts to humble. Because God's resistance is given to the proud and God's grace is given to the humble. James 4, 6, James 4, 6, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And God knows how to humble a person with the weakest little animal of a locust. And when a person is, is humbled, he's helped by God, which is why God told Jacob, God was speaking to Jacob and he's saying to Jacob, Jacob, see yourself as a worm. No more than a worm in Isaiah 41, 14, Isaiah 41, 14. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Because when a person sees themselves so low like a worm, then the help of God rushes in, the grace of God, because God gives grace to the humble. And so God uses this locust as an instrument, an instrument of judgment, and that shows the great power of God because the locust accomplished for God what was incredible. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 30, verse 27, in Proverbs 30, verse 27, it says, the locust have no king, yet go they forth 
all of them by bands. The locusts have no leader. The locusts have no king. But under God's command, they operate with the precision attacks of an army. With no king, the locusts organize themselves into attacking waves, one right after the other. Proverbs 37, the locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. With no king, they fly in formation. With no king, they fought with more strategy and wisdom than the Pearl Harbor attack in World War II because the locusts were ordered by God, commanded by God. And without a king, the locusts are described in verse six as a nation, a nation that's coming to destroy, in verse six, for a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. That was not just any land that these locusts came to destroy. God calls it my land, in verse six. A nation is come up upon my land. That broke God's heart to say that, that he was destroying his land of Israel, He was willing to sacrifice his beautiful land of Israel in order to humble the Jewish people and bring them to be his people. And these locusts in verse six are like no other locusts that have ever been because these locusts have teeth. They have teeth described in verse six, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion and he had the cheek teeth of a great lion. It's the teeth of these lions that are so tormenting. With their teeth, they torment. You know, there's another locust described in the Bible which was created again with the teeth of a lion to torment, and those locusts are described in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 9, verse three. Revelation 9, verse three says, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of those locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. On their heads were crowns like gold, and their faces were the faces of men. And they had the hair as the hair of a woman, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. There were stings in their tails, and power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abedon, but in the Greek, the tongue is Apollyon. And these are the locusts of, of Revelation. They don't eat the grass. They don't touch the leaves. They go after men. They make a beeline toward men, and they have stingers, like the stingers of scorpion, and they don't kill. They just inflict a tremendous, enormous pain, and they do that for five months. And the torment of those locusts make people want to die They want to die, Revelation 9, 6. Revelation 9, 6. In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee flee from them. Like with these locusts, for these lost people in Revelation 9, it's so bad that they just want to die and end it all. These people are lost from Jesus Christ and life is so miserable for them. They just want to die and be finished, just like people today. When life gets so miserable, Life might be miserable because of all that's gone wrong for them in life, a failed relationship, divorce, 
failed finances, bankruptcy, failed dreams, you're fired, failed health in pain, failed satisfaction, no peace, failed legal issues, prison. And for any of these reasons or any other reason, a person can just reach the end of their rope the end of their rope, the limit of their stamina, the maximum that they can tolerate, their emotions are drained out, they just wanna get out of that failed state, and death looks like their easy way out. Just I read in the paper yesterday where this one person was in this state, and he says, the pull of a trigger ends it all. Like my lost friend in Japan one time, and he told me we were talking about death, and as he was talking about death, he lit up a cigarette, and with a cigarette with a match, he held the burning match up, And he said, this is what life is like. And then he blew out that match and said, and this is what death is like. The smoke just rose off that extinguished match. And he said, death means you no longer exist. Like my grandfather, the rabbi, who said on his deathbed, when you're dead, you're dead. But that's wrong. That's wrong. Because when you're dead, you do not cease to exist. Everyone will be raised from the dead. Everyone will hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 28, John 5, 28, marvel not at this, the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. These lost people in Revelation under the misery of these scorpion bites from these locusts will want to die because death looks so inviting because because it's a step out of misery. Death looks like a step out of misery. Just like the lost today, who under the misery of their lives, for whatever reason, they just want to die because death looks so inviting as a step out of misery. That's all they see. All they see in death is the step out and they choose death instead of life, but what they don't see is that death is a step out to step in. That's what they don't see, is the step in. What they don't see in death is that death is a step out to step into hell, and that's what they don't see, that death is a step into hell. Hell, what is hell? Hell is a place where the person is beyond the reach of any help. Hell is a place of being in the worst loneliness possible. Hell is a place of being caged in the worst solitary confinement. Hell is a place of being imprisoned with no due process, no attorney, no appeal, no relief, no getting out for good behavior, no negotiation, no plea bargain, no parole, nothing. And it doesn't matter if a person dies by shooting their head off with a shotgun, if they're cremated into ashes, if they're destroyed at sea, if they're destroyed by worms, every lost soul will be reformed to wake up in hell. And it all happens because a lost person is at war with God, war with God. A lost person is an enemy of God, and there's only one hope for a person to choose life instead of death because God has a solution. And his solution is Isaiah 27.5, Isaiah 27.5. Let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. God's invitation for the lost who are at war with God, who are enemies with God, is make 
peace with God by throwing himself into the hand of God and let God strengthen him to call on the name of Jesus Christ to make peace with God. Because Ephesians 2.14, Ephesians 2.14, Jesus Christ, he is our peace. He is our peace. And all this judgment described here in Joel is designed to humble. It's designed to bring a person to repentance and willingness to let Jesus Christ become his peace. And that's why God's willing to destroy even his own land, because salvation of one lost soul is worth it, worth the destruction of his land. And that's why God is willing to bring the land to a point of, verse 10, verse 10, the field is wasted, the land mourneth, the land mourneth, the land becomes wasted and in a state of mourning, and that breaks God's heart. It breaks God's heart because God made the land to be very special. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.